Hey, this is Natalie Sun, host of That's So New Media. We hope you've been enjoying the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to email us at info at nextart.tech. Now onto our episode. Welcome to That's So New Media, a podcast about tech's impact on creative culture. Today's about how interactive music videos, live virtual events, and social media are shifting the way we discover and experience music. Today, we're joined by Jono Brendel. Hi. And Nick Shelton. Hello. Jono Brendel is an artist who uses graphic design and computer programming to explore expression in tech. Having done different forms of visual music, he's worked on applications like Patatap and Typatone, performed live with No Such Thing, and made interactive music videos for The Chemical Brothers, Arcade Fire, Kimbra, and the like. Nick Shelton is a graphics programmer, working in interactive graphics, data visualization, audiovisual, virtual performances, and even more. Previously a technical art director at Wave XR, he's developed live virtual performances for Emojin Heap, The Glitch Mob, Tokimonsta, and recently John Legend. No big deal. <laughs> Hi guys. Hello. Hey. So I'll be honest and say, growing up, I really wasn't musical, but being able to literally see visuals like live visual music, music videos, changed the way that I interpret and enjoy music. And you guys have been doing so much in that space, Jono with interactive music videos that are on the web and Nick with live virtual events. So how'd you guys even get into music to begin with? Are you guys musicians yourselves? Oh man, Nick, you want to take this first question? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I play a lot of instruments and love jamming out with my friends and used to produce music, but kind of realized that I would get more mileage out of doing visual arts. Yeah, I still play music for fun. I think everything changed when I first saw the Milk Drop music visualizer in, in Winamp. Oh, wow. Yeah. You guys ever saw that? Yeah. That, that was kind of a turning point where I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? I, I'm definitely imagining myself in high school, maybe a bit earlier with like my first Dell computer and like just like fiddling with the different applications and finding that and being like, oh, my God, this is so tight. Yeah, yeah, I must have been like 15 or something. Was the Winamp thing also for you, Jeno? Was that like a big... I mean, that that moment was definitely big. Like I, I grew up with computers and video games, but I'm not a musician. I mean, I think like, like a lot of Asian American households, I took piano for like two years. Yep. Uh, but like, I don't really remember much from those experiences. But I, I mean, I love music. I listen to music while I work most of the time. And so it's a huge inspiration to me. And when I was learning how to program, music was like a way to kind of have ideas without needing to come up with a narrative, so to speak. It felt like a, a right kind of like bridge in that like I was able to use it how I feel like I could creatively, but then also I could kind of give back to musicians by like, you know, making visuals for them and stuff. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised to hear that you don't find yourself to be a musician because you create tools where people can make music, you know, like Patatap and Typatone are like almost musical instruments in their own right. So if you don't qualify yourself as a musician, like you, you at least are someone who really appreciates music on a deeper level, I think. Oh, thanks. I mean, those projects are, and most of my projects are collaborations. Like I'm sure they are with you too, Nick. I worked with this band Lullatone from Japan. And so they were... <laughs> no pun intended, instrumental <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in, you know, making, making that kind of like a, a genuine tool or, or like a space for, for creative expression. Like the original story of Patatap was I actually made it as a way for myself to do visuals. I used like a version of it that I wrote in processing. 
um, in 2012 for um, Donato Dazi. He like played at the at Monarch in in San Francisco, this like small club. I made this application in processing, and those were kind of like the six of like the basic shapes that you see or shape animations that you see in Padatap. And I just played alongside him like with my keyboard. And then I emailed Lelatone like almost a year after that because I like it was fun to play it for myself. And uh, when I showed my friends and stuff, they enjoyed like playing it too. And I was like, oh, there's like, there's something here, but I don't know exactly what it is. So the working with a musician made it like, I mean, it wouldn't have been possible yet without, without Lelatone. And their, and their sounds are, you know, just as good, if not better than the visuals that accompany it. Yeah, they're incredible. I feel like every single time I see a website or something and I'm like, this music is so sweet. It makes me feel so good. I always find out that it's Lelatone. <laughs> it's like a very common occurrence. They're incredible. Nick, when it comes to making music and doing visuals yourself, was making your own music kind of the gateway to that? Or was it something else? Not really. I guess I just, like I was in orchestra and I was in bands and stuff in high school, but I realized that other people were just better than me at music. And <laughs> I could like contribute more in a visual sense. And mm. it sort of was like complimentary in a way, you know, like a symbiotic sort of thing. And, and I just had more to contribute, you know, mm. in, a, in the visual way. You said earlier that it gave you more mileage. When you say mileage, what does that mean? It's just like if I spent eight hours working on a, writing a song versus like eight hours doing a painting, you know, the painting would be objectively better than the song. Mm, I see. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Does that also mean that it gives you personal mileage? Like you feel better about making it yourself rather than music? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel more accomplished at the end of it. Mm, interesting. Wow. Do you feel like um, there's like, because I definitely get this like, you know, when you're developing visuals and software, you're kind of like technical minded and then you're like visually you're kind of like wearing two hats and you kind of like, there's like a push and pull. Do you have that feeling as a musician and as a visual artist? Like I need to like write some music to like get away from visuals for a little bit or. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I do like play mandolin pretty much every day in quarantine now. <laughs> and it's a great like way to shift my brain. Wow. You use a lot of the same concepts, you know, that you would, at least I do whenever I'm making audiovisual software like it, it obviously helps to have a knowledge of how songs are structured and like tension and resolution and you know concepts like that in order to make it actually visualize kind of how the music is feeling yeah so it's definitely helped me out yeah totally and i can tell when other people do that too you know i can i can like see that like a really good music video or a good like vj set you know you can really tell if the person is like in tune with what the music is doing and, and trying to play off that instead of just doing something totally different yeah yeah there's like there's an emotional connection that's like you can you can like really sink into when you're like listening to good music and seeing good visuals so when we say visuals just for our audience sake um we're talking about you know vjing or visuals that go with music and i remember a very distinct time where someone was asking me what i was doing on my friday and i was like oh i'm gonna go to the show because my favorite vj is playing and she was like, what is VJing? What? And it was like such a violent question. It was like, what is VJ? And uh, so I had to explain, you know, what that was. And so could you guys kind of uh, give our audience like an explanation of what that is and how you guys do it yourselves? <laughs> I can maybe start, start this one off. I definitely first heard VJ on MTV as like the hosts were VJs. 
And that has nothing to do with what we're talking about as VJs. So I've definitely had people come to me like, oh, you've done like VJ stuff. That's so cool. Like, what TV channel are you on? <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, correct me. Feel free to add on, on top of this definition. But I, I feel like it's, um, you know, when you're performing music, that act of performing can have a visual component. Sometimes it's uh, a projection, but it doesn't always have to be. I mean, you know, there's cool, I, I'm trying to think of maybe some artists that don't necessarily have, you know, projection visuals, but have some kind of visual element that reinforces and adds to that performance and that experience. And to me, that's what DJing is, is all about. Yeah, it's like visually enhancing a live music performance in some way. Mm-hmm. Or not doesn't necessarily have to be live, but I know that like, even though it is kind of projecting, um, Chantal Martin started a lot of her artistic work DJing, but she was drawing, you know? And so she was mm-hmm. live drawing next to an artist, uh, a musician. Yeah, that's, that's a great performative act. I, I know, like, it's a frustrating conversation about VJing because, like, the visual component is so important when it comes to festivals and all these, like, live music experiences. But we rarely see the VJ as someone who's built you know, on like the lineup. And I think we had tried to do that for Next Start, where whenever we bring in musical acts, we also have the VJ alongside them, their names as large. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And so how do you guys, how have you guys done that in your own careers as visual artists um, when it comes to doing music performances? Yeah, I'm a little conflicted about that because I'm sort of a type of person who wants to sit at front of house and like not be on stage, you know, in front of people and just kind of make things work in the background. Uh, like I was DJing this festival and they wanted me to VJ from on stage because it was cool. They put the VJs on the flyer and like a lot of the VJs were on stage. That's awesome. It, it, yeah, it's a cool idea, but it's also like, how am I going to do a good show if I can't see the stage that I'm VJing if I'm on it? You know. <laughs> good point. Yeah, for sure. So I didn't do that. But this performance that I did in Paris um, had a 360 degree wall projection. So there's like four projectors on every side. and I stood next to Christina. And so maybe, maybe that's what you have to ask for, for the next show is like, I just need, I need the visuals everywhere so that I can see. Oh yeah. Everything from every angle. <laughs> yeah. That, that was really helpful. Speaking of everywhere, Nick, you've worked on so many interesting um, VR to virtual events. Um, and like they've been 360 in the best way possible. Um, so has that affected the way that you do visual music? Because I'm sure going from like a flat screen at a festival to then encompassing someone's entire environment is a huge shift. Yeah, well, the cool thing about like live concert visuals these days is, is like big stages are getting more like you can do projection mapping and these LED walls are getting more sophisticated. So like that mm-hmm. show I, I just mentioned where I VJed, there were actually three giant LED screens behind, like one on either side of the stage, one behind the DJ. There was some projection mapping, like little things in the middle. So like in between the, the screen. So you can kind of do some immersive sort of things. And I actually had like it running in Unity, doing a 180 kind of field of view with three cameras that would go on each of those three things. So it's sort of like a VR experience or like, even though it's all flat on on one wall, but it's it's totally different than a 2D screen when you're you're thinking about making a VR experience because you can't control the camera anymore. Like the user controls a camera and you have to just approach it completely differently, like depending on what the medium is going to be, you know? Yeah, I'm sure, Jonah, you have a lot of like interesting insights into that as well, going from someone who's done a lot of graphics-based things to then doing VR music videos as well. Yeah, I agree with Nick. Like, you know, I, I studied graphic design. Like, I think in 2D. I, I'm, I've 
done a lot of 3D stuff, but, and, and I mean, I think even in the kind of like um, artist statement that you gave for me, like my quote unquote, like most well-known work is 2D stuff. It's not 3D. But I've been working in VR f- since 2015. And yeah, it, it takes a totally different approach. And I think of it as like going from making, you know, paintings or designing a book to like set design. You're thinking about lighting a lot. You're thinking about blocking and staging. Like where should things be to try to help guide the attention or the eye of the viewer? But you can't force them to do anything. They can look in any direction. So you kind of also have to like think for that reason as well. And so you're kind of... I don't know. I, I'm, I've struggled with it quite a bit just because it's like, I feel like I'm often just trying to put enough like bells and whistles in enough places so that people aren't bored. <laughs> Whereas, I don't know, on a, somehow on a 2D surface, you know, it's just like, look at the 2D surface. Like there's so much kind of like structure and history there. There's like a lot of stuff you can easily kind of play up on different types of like visual techniques and other kinds of like formats. That, that make it easier to kind of deal with and make like a set. I'm kind of curious, like Nick, like for this thing for John Legend, like how long is that show? Is it a full like hour or longer? Or? That was four songs. So it was about 30 minutes. He did a little talking in between. Yeah, some of the that's, songs. that's crazy. Like looking outside of the musical side, making an experience for even a half an hour is like, it's a pretty tough thing. And what I find hard in virtual reality is like, because there's so much control, there's kind of a higher expectation of what, what should be delivered in a way. And so you're just like, oh, I, I have to add more. I, is there enough? I don't think there's enough here. <laughs> That's funny because like we worked a lot with uh, Strange Loop Studios and some of our VR music video experiences at The Wave initially. And that was what David Wexler would always say, who is the art director for, for those projects. He would just be like, add more, more particles, like make it faster, like <laughs> add a, more of this, add some more bloom or, you know, just crazy effects. Yeah. And that yeah. was like, that's definitely a technique to make like VR more intense. It's just more of everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But then like with the John Legend thing or the, you know, shows at the wave, those, those aren't in VR. So we are just designing for a 2D screen. So it is yeah. a lot easier. And we have a, a actual performing avatar in there. So right. that, that kind of takes a little bit of the, the burden off, you know, because you really just want to open it up for the performer to do a performance instead of right. having to like make everything custom, you know, graphics, timelined, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that, that's him really there, even if he's virtually represented. It helps the content production, like, because we don't have to make as much stuff if we like just make a good looking avatar with a few effects and then tell them to just do their show, you know, and I think... Yeah, I guess from a business perspective, that's probably like a much more sustainable model than making like a custom, Mm -hmm. really custom experience every time. What I was going to add to this is, you know, talking about, you know, Natalie, you kind of mentioned like some, I think you used the word immersive, but you also were talking about virtual reality. And I think there is a little bit of like convergence in concert visuals or installations in virtual reality in this sense of like, you know, the experiences around you as the attendee. And um, I really like, I saw a couple years ago at Mutech SF, Nanotalk did a performance on stage. So it wasn't like a immersive in that sense, but there were these light structures that were kind of like around the performers. And visually, they're like very um, minimal 
uh, simple geometric black and white, like super restrictive visual elements. But it was a really strong and interesting show. Like, I'd love to hear your take, Nick, like from the visual side, how do you kind of pace you know, the visual so you can't like just give every everything that you got in the first like five seconds and then people mm-hmm. are kind of bored, you know, of like, oh, I, I saw this already. Like, even though it's a live software that you made, like... Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to how music is structured, you know, because you're not going to go like play the catchiest chorus like right off the bat, you know, like you, you build up and you start out slow and like do some reveals. And I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of VJs that or shows in general that will just go a hundred miles an hour straight out the gate. And it's just a, you know, a cluster the whole time. But yeah, I think my favorite, one of my favorite live shows ever is uh, Justice because they have like all this production and stuff and like these big martial amps in the back, you know, and, and you don't even realize they're led screens until like the last quarter of the show, they turn them on and you're like, what? Those were there the whole time. You know? <laughs> like at first they just start lighting up and you're like, Oh, they just have lights on and that's cool. Then a little bit later, it's like, oh, no, that's a whole screen. And then, you know, they start moving around and transforming. And uh, I thought that was a really, like, tasteful way to, like you're saying, kind of pace it out. Yeah. I saw them at Day for Night a few years ago, and I did not know that I've been pronouncing their name incorrectly this entire time. <laughs> to me, they were Justice, but apparently I'm not French enough. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Like, their whole visual set was just incredible um, and, like, very overwhelming. <laughs> In a very good way. And, yeah, exactly. It's like it was that perfect uh, middle ground of like being a lot, but also very on brand, like very yeah. uh, tonally correct for them That's and cool. their music. And so that was like the next question I was going to ask is like for you guys, I feel like you guys both have very distinct styles in terms of your, what you create. But when it comes to working on these wide range of musicians that you guys have worked on, um, how does that collaboration usually work? Oh, it's different. Everyone's different. Yeah, it's really hard too. Like, obviously you work with like a team and they're like, the artist has a team and like your thing you're working on as a team and communication can be very difficult, (laughs) you know, getting on the same page about what the vision is. Yeah. Especially creatively. Yeah. 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 How do do you guys make that work? Because I'm sure as visual artists, you have a very um, distinct view of what you're thinking of and to be able to communicate that. And like also, I guess, accommodate to a musician's music and their style of what they're thinking when they're completely different, two different minds. Um, How does that communication usually work? Do you guys have like uh, examples that you can bring up or thoughts of like the best way to communicate when it's between artists? I'm curious about Jono's experience because I like my favorite is just sitting in like a living room with my friends, DJ or like a band or something and just putting something on the projector or TV and just like getting a show together and being like, oh, do that or like, oh, wait for that drop for this effect or whatever. But you don't really get that opportunity with like these bigger artists and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think in that sense, it sounds, you know, how I imagine uh, a band just like jamming out works. Like I'm imagining you and your friends like in, I don't know, basement or living room or garage or something. And I think... uh yeah, I, I guess maybe as somebody who is not a musician, for me, the like that that kind of like getting into that mode and feeling that energy uh, with the artists is like it's more like a like a painting critique or a design critique where I like kind of like sit and do a bunch of stuff on my own, and then we like meet and talk about it, and um, they share some stuff and I share some stuff. I will say though that you know a lot of the projects that I worked on. They are with teams, but sometimes I've worked directly with the artists. And so I think, you know, 
Natalie, you mentioned that some of the viewers of That's So New Media are thinking about maybe VJing as a career or new media art in general. And I think it would have been awesome to know how a little bit better of how the music industry worked uh, before I started doing this stuff. So there's like, there's record labels who like market and distribute uh, a lot of the music or merch and uh, field some other types of collaborations. And then there's managers who manage like the band. And so a lot of the live performances and stuff are managed by these, these people. And then there's the artists themselves. And so uh, you as a visual artist, you can work with any one of those three and uh, they kind of present their own kind of pros and cons. For instance, like the Chemical Brothers music video, we did like with the Chemical Brothers like managers. So there was kind of like a direct communication. We got to show them. We had two versions of like critiques before the project went live. And so at any point, they can like basically nix the project and be like, oh, we don't feel like this is like what we're about. But then like when I worked with Kimbra, she reached out to me. She had seen Patatap and was basically like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. I, I'm just going to give you this track with stems. And uh, I'd love for you to like, you know, make something. And we kind of just like went back and forth from there. And then I did a, a kind of like spinoff version of Patatap for Cornelius a couple of years ago for his like US tour. And like that was from the record label. And so the visual aesthetic, everything was already developed. And the record label was like, oh, can we saw Patatap. Can we just have that, but like with Cornelius's visuals? So there's like a lot of ways that you can, I think, work with a lot of these different musicians or entities in the music industry. And it's taken me probably like eight years or more to kind of detangle that a little bit and be like, oh, okay. So when you say you're the record label, you like actually don't speak with the artist like on a day-to-day basis. You know, or like, you know, there's there's just like kind of different levels of politics that are involved. And uh, yeah, a lot of projects like have never really come to fruition because I like didn't understand that uh, hierarchy, so to speak. Is there like a way or tips that you would have for someone who's breaking into it, like a best way to go about becoming a visual artist or a VJ? I think, Nick, it sounds like you've kind of hit a nice cadence where like you are being billed like on the same level with uh, with DJs or wh- whoever else you're performing with. And I think that's like a, a great step towards kind of like equity for the visual artists in this space. I think personally, I've not found that yet. Um, I think if if I were to try to like redo this, especially in the age of social media, I would try to get as many followers as possible under my visual aesthetic, Mm. because that's, I think at one level, you know, not to sound like take out the romance of this, (laughs) but like, I think at one level, like the record label or the manager type of people, when you do that type of collaboration, they're either looking for extraordinary work or some way to kind of get more eyeballs onto the musician. And so if you have your own audience, that's something that you can bring to the table and, kind of create leverage uh, for yourself as a visual artist in that situation. And I don't feel like I've ever kind of found that footing for myself. And there are, I think, a couple of examples like United Visual Artists that they did the, um, wow, I'm totally blanking on the band that they do. 
visuals for. Yeah. But you know them. Well, that's a big deal. No, because the band is like a much bigger deal than, <laughs> than UVA. My point was that I think they, they found kind of like a good balance. And I think, and, and they also make exceptional work like you, Nick. Like, I think there will be kind of like the future generations, I hope, of, you know, VJs or artists, visual artists working with music, I think will have kind of more, more of a billing. Yeah, I think we're seeing the visual aspect of of live shows or just general media coming more to the forefront. Yeah, it's a little easier, I think, to get in there, like into the scene as a VJ. And I would recommend like anyone who wanted to, to do that is like, it's kind of like being a DJ or in a band, you just have to do it, you know, and play crappy small bar shows or whatever, whatever just to get your, your feet wet and, and try it out. Or, I mean, or have the, a friend who is a musician that's, you know, you guys both start out together and like one of you gets big and kind of carries the other one. Yeah, that's that's the ideal scenario. Your best friend turns out to be a, a famous DJ, but it doesn't happen for everyone. Um, but the issue that I ran into was like, I did a lot of those kind of shows and I was like working like late nights VJing at clubs and no one really cares about the, the visuals in, in a lot of those situations. Like if I didn't know the artist, you know, I would just show up, the artist would show up, I would just play some videos or, you know, some Unity graphics or something while they were performing. And I didn't really see it as a, like, art thing, you know? Like, we weren't, like, getting a show together making something beautiful. It was just, like, kind of, like, entertainment. And, and I didn't really see that path to, like, be a VJ actually making me any money. And the hours were, like, pretty crappy, too. Yeah, totally. Totally. And you, you work with, like, a lot of, or you don't work with them, but, you know, clubs can just be annoying a lot of times, especially if you're working. Yeah. So I think it more was like I, I needed to form a relationship with different bands. And like that was the thing. I, I wasn't a, a VJ necessarily. I was like, well, I was a VJ for a band, you know, so I could have a relationship with them. And, you know, they would play a bunch of shows and I would always be around instead of just, you know, playing random videos any given night. I totally agree. So when I graduated from undergrad, I, um, I took this workshop at UCLA that was about VJing and this awesome duo. They're called Machine. They're from the Netherlands. They're like pretty famous OG VJs. They kind of like gave us all of these like visual techniques of how to like tell stories and have meaning when you're presenting visuals. And so this workshop was super fun and made me like, yeah, like I want to give this a shot. And a couple of peers and friends from the program, like we tried to have like a VJ collective where we did a bunch of shows in LA, some really big shows, but all mostly it was like we were the, you know, house VJ for, I don't even remember the club, but it's like on Hollywood Boulevard. But it was just like super draining. And yeah, it was exactly how you said, like everybody who was there, like the consumers of that media but also kind of like the club managers everybody kind of like was just there for entertainment and you're kind of there you want to bring something extra to the table and just the environment is not set up for you to succeed and i definitely felt that was like oh this is not gonna work out (laughs) well the funny part is like that's why i even got into vjing in the first place because i would go to shows and i would see the visuals and be like these are pretty whack. Like these loops aren't even beat sync. This could be so much better. You know, this person really doesn't even care. Yeah, totally. Totally. But now I understand like why, <laughs> you know, it's not that great unless it's a 
really big act that can afford to actually pay a VJ. Yeah. Interesting. Is it not normal in like the live music setting? To pay artists? <laughs> <laughs> Natalie's trying to get real on this podcast. You know, in my opinion, um, when you go to Coachella or these big music festivals, like the visual component of it is so important because mm-hmm. um, it becomes a bigger experience than just hearing the music. But if there's not really a budget that's allocated for the visual aspect of it, then that makes for a really bad relationship. And so have that, has that affected both of you guys? And I'm, I'm sure in the last few stories you guys have already gone over, um, is there any way that we can make it better? Well, I mean, if you're talking about Coachella, they obviously have budget for visuals and they have like some of the sickest, <laughs> you know, LED screen setups yeah. ever. But yeah, I don't think there is a budget like just for low level artists in general, like starting out playing clubs and stuff like oh, yeah. tons of DJs play for free, tons of bands play for free, tons of VJs even more so would VJ for free. Like I've done plenty of free shows with my friends' bands or do a show where I spend eight you know, 12 hours preparing and get like a hundred bucks, you know? So, yeah, I, I think, I think there's, there's obviously like the financial side, but I think there's also a little bit of like the perception side that we need to work on that. I think next art has done really well, like trying to give like equal billing totally to the visual and sonic uh, entities that are playing. Nextart did not tell Jonah to say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not being sponsored by by Nextart, but you definitely should <laughs> click, uh, you know, subscribe. And, uh, <laughs> but I think I think you know, as somebody like in high school, I did modern dance. I it was how I imagine you know musicians feel on stage. Like when you see an audience on stage, mm. there's this there's this energy, and it's really just like you've been practicing for so long, you know your shit, and then you go out and you kill it, and it just feels like so good. And, um, you know, I remember in those moments in high school, you know, there's a lot of people involved in order to make that show happen. And at that time, like the theater crowd would, I think they call them techies, you know, there's just all the people that are like stage managing the, the shows. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of the industries that, you know, work with visual artists, people generally, this has been my experience, view the VJ as part of that group uh, and not part of the musician or band or artist. Mm-hmm. Or an artist by themselves. And so I, I think from that kind of like fundamental perspective, you know, it's that kind of feeling like, oh, this is not an environment where I feel like I could succeed. Not to mm-hmm. like discourage anybody or to like, you know, shit on techies. Um, <laughs> like, I think it's it's a super admirable job. But I think in in terms of trying to give visual artists the kind of same you know space, th- I think another one is just the timing. A lot of projects that I've worked on have you know, very little time. You hear this, you know, a record label comes to you, it's like, oh my God, like, we got to tell you that this, you know, artist, he's been like, or she's been like locked up in a cabin for four and a half years, like making this amazing album. And (laughs) we need to have like an interactive website to market this thing that we like want you to do because you're obviously an artist too. But the album's coming out like next week. So... Is there any way that, you know, that can happen? Is, is that possible? Like, we don't have to make it as complicated as a lot of your other projects. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of like where we're coming from. And we can totally send you the album to listen 
so that you can like get on board. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my first thought was, oh my god, four and a half years in a cabin, is she okay? <laughs> but yes, I totally understand what you mean. Like the time frame and the budget, it's like the whole triangle thing of you got to give you know enough money or enough time or enough freedom <laughs> to let the person yeah, do the thing. There's just like a little best. bit of like respect, I think that's that's due for for the visual artist. Yeah. Well, and if he comes in like an afterthought like that, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of respect to begin with. You know, it's it's obviously not viewed as as important as the music, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, right. you know, there's there's a lot of levels to this, too. Like, uh, I wanted to, like, backtrack a little bit and not like shit on the whole music industry. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they're they're finding their way. Like technology has disrupted their their industry and how things work, and a lot of these people are taking risks by wanting to work with a visual artist. So you know, yeah, give them some credit from the perspective of the visual artist. Of you know, obviously, this is gonna sound super cliche, but like your portfolio speaks volumes, mainly because people come like most of the visual music projects that I've listed in this podcast. Aside from the ones we talked about with Lullatone, like all of them came because they saw something on my portfolio already and were like, can we do this? But like with our logo or like a different visual aesthetic or something like that. So, you know, your portfolio is definitely a great calling card and um, putting up contact information and making sure that your portfolio is the projects that you want to work on, not just every project that, you know, you've ever done. Yeah, yeah, that's important too. So you said that, uh, technology is disrupting the music industry in general. And I think we've talked about VJing as like a really big component to that. But I think in the last few years, especially, we've started to see VR changing the way that people are doing music videos, um, WebGL making, letting people interact with the music and like warp the music in fun ways. Nick, you doing like live virtual events that are now being streamed, especially now in quarantine where people can't go to live events anymore. And so like, there are so many different ways in which these things are being changed and like how people are experiencing music being changed. But at the same time, you guys are having to come up with creative ideas that have never been done before. Right. So, I mean, one of the examples that I always come back to all the time, I'm sorry, Jenna, is the wilderness downtown and how that music video kind of changed the way people saw making interactive music videos on the web and what the web could do. Yeah. And like shifting the way that like, instead of just passively watching a music video, now it was kind of a little bit more about you. And like with the live virtual events as well, like it's surrounding you, you can be with other people, but in a virtual space. So like you guys are creating these experiences um, that haven't really had anything leading up to it. You just kind of have to go like, oh, tech can do this. So why don't we try, you know, playing with this? And so I guess my question is, where do you guys look for inspiration? And um, how do you guys find that kind of creative concepting? Um, in a world that's kind of like un, undefined right now. It's so weird um, because it's it's sort of like changing the whole dynamic of a concert of like a performer. Like if you start talking about an interactive concert, there's like this performer audience relationship. Mm. And if you're talking about a video mm. game, people have their own agency to to interact with their world, which you can do at a concert. You know, you can dance and like yell and spill beer on somebody or, or whatever, but... <laughs> Like we have the opportunity to totally rewrite that, you know, book of what is a concert, how do people interact with music and like a crowd, like what's a virtual crowd? It's, it's totally different than a, a real crowd, mm-hmm. you know, like, can you actually talk to the, the artists? Like you can never just walk up to the stage and talk to an artist at a show, but you know, you could through like chat on Twitch, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's like, it's, I think it's kind of a balance between like agency of the audience 
versus like keeping standard audience performer relationship going and like I don't know. It's weird with video games because people want everything to be like interactive, but like how interactive can you really be with like a show that an artist has put together ahead of time? Yeah. Those are such good points. I think about how like in the very beginning when you guys were the wave VR and you guys were doing like the early day concerts, um, I remember someone telling me like, oh my God, Natalie, this is your dream as an introvert. Like you don't have to be amongst like real people um you can just be like dancing along virtual people and then when i went into a concert i remember i still teleported to like the middle of nowhere to just be away from virtual people (laughs) (laughs) and so like i guess that agency might be what you're talking about nick but like being able to almost accommodate to whatever personalities is now available in tech when it wasn't really there before. Like I love music, but I can't go to concerts because I just hate being amongst like 500 other people. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like a, just being a club simulator, you know, there's so many other ways you could go about it that don't even have a dance floor. That's just something that people are familiar with, you know? Yeah. So obviously you use the same kind of patterns you would use if you went to a real club in this virtual club simulator. Totally. Like if it's VR chat or Minecraft or whatever. Right. For you, Jono, you've been making a lot of different like VR or WebGL based music videos or music experiences. I I don't even know what the words are anymore because I think what's fun with your stuff is now you can kind of shift the music. It's not just passively watching something and clicking around things, but now it's like, oh, I can shift the bass or the voice or like these different channels or the different um, stems of the song itself, which allows me to tweak the music in a way that is fitting for me. And I wonder for you, like, how has that experience been? Like, what does it mean to interact with music? And how much do you want to allow people to interact with the music? Oh, that's a great question. I think uh, there's kind of like a different way, different ways that I think about it. I think just the easiest answer is, you know, as somebody who's not a musician, it's kind of like my way of like excavating, like, how does the musician work? Like, are there things that I can expose to everybody else that I'm kind of like learning about? And so I'm just kind of like digging around like through, you know, their like underwear drawer of like stems or whatever. Um, and just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if there's something there, you know, that, that could be built on. I definitely struggle with it, though. Like um, the most recent VR music video that I made was for Matthew Deere for his single What You Don't, Do- what you don't Know. And, uh, it's a website, but you can, if you have a VR headset, like you can enter the website. There's a lot of functionality there, but like, I don't think most people really understood or grasped what was going on exactly that you were like changing the speeds of the different stems and like kind of what was the benefit of that? Like, did I have a better experience? Like, I think when you can fiddle with it or at least in the times that I've tested with people in the same room, you know, and I show them and I watch them, they kind of find how interesting it is that like music composition is super complicated. They're like, wow, I could have done all of this stuff. And I basically just screw it up every time. So like, can I just reset it to make it sound like, you know, how Matthew do wanted (laughs) wanted it for me to sound. And uh, like one positive is that you're like wow there's some level of appreciation of the of the artistry and craft involved but um to be honest like it's a little bit of why i went back to grad school because i i was finding myself you know like nick nick too like i'd love to get your take like visual music was like this is not um i'm trying to think of like some other genre of art that's just like super hot or in vogue right now but i it's not coming to mind, but like visual music is not like, there's not like a ton of 
fine artists. Most of the references of these artists, you know, they're famous for something else. And they just also happen to be really interested in music as kind of like a influence. And so from that sense, like we kind of have always been operating in this like undefined space and just trying to find, you know, some ground that we can, that we can like base our work off of, base some expression off of. Yeah. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, people not paying attention to VJs and like the videos being an afterthought or, you know, interactive media being an afterthought in like marketing campaigns and stuff. I think we are seeing that change. Like I just watched the Travis Scott show in Fortnite. Did you guys see that? Yeah. I I saw like screen, screen casts of it. Like that was beautiful. And that was like very clearly visual first, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that even concerts with, with visuals are, are still like music first. You know what I mean? Like they, they spend so much time on the animation on that and the effects uh, that, that I think that's kind of like the, the future we're, we're going towards, hopefully. I recently read a possibly outdated book now called Remix by Lawrence Lessig. Um, and he talked about the whole book is about like art and commerce and how copyright law should change according to like how we're interacting with art. One chapter in particular was about music. And I'm just curious for you guys. um, I know that like TikTok, for example, is an incredible platform in terms of how Generation Z is now using and interacting with music. Instead of just listening to it, they're like making videos on their own and like doing things on their own. And I don't know why it randomly also made me think about that time Aphex Twin had just reached out to some kid who was on YouTube making weird videos. And he was like, yeah, just take my track and make a music video. And that became the official music video. And like, the freedom that musicians are allowing people to play with their tracks or play with things that are a little bit out of their um, creative vision. At least he, he argues in the book also that like we should be having uh, more room for creativity to grow from here and be less like holding it behind a wall, I guess is, <laughs> is the way you put it. Um, so how, what do you guys think about like different ways of interacting and like the gatekeeping, I guess, of music to then opening it up to people's interpretation? I think it's all about the the tools, right? Like now your phone is a pretty high quality whole video production studio, you know, that you could do all these effects and editing and stuff on your phone and goes the same way with with music, with you know, Ableton and stuff like that. People like that's why everyone's an electronic music producer these days, because it's so easy to get into. I mean, same thing with like processing and tools like that for for making graphics. So I think that's that's definitely a big part of it. Yeah, just, it's easier for people to get get into the this kind of thing that was probably impossible before. Or very hard. Yeah, totally. I think also in that sense, there's there's also I feel this in definitely in visual arts culture. Maybe Nikki can speak a little bit to like music culture if it's the same way. But there's or music production culture. Like there's definitely like you know if you're learning you know a specific tool like blender or something, you know, there's like all of these techniques that you like learn and optimize for to like develop your style. And I think, um, the like interoperability of all of these tools, not just the visual tools, but yeah. How can, you know, Ableton drive this, you know, thing in blender maybe, or I saw I'm on like the spark AR Facebook group before I left Facebook a few weeks ago. (laughs) I saw I saw somebody like use Spark AR to generate a face filter that actually showed up in Google Sheets so that like the cells were like, you know, basically like the video feed. And like, I think there's like, 
this really, you know, the more kind of like crossbreeding between things, like for sure, a lot of my projects are not, they may, like when they're packaged, maybe they seem like they're this like very like, hopefully they're like some like profound, interesting idea, but kind of at the root of it, there's like just a very simple kind of like, what if I took something from this space and mapped it to this other space and just kind of like trying to explore that as much as possible. Like I, th- I think a lot of really interesting projects kind of just come out of that simple like inspection and the more kind of connections that exist, basically the more like possibilities of these in- inspections can exist and like interesting projects. Like collaboration. Uh, yeah. I think like GitHub and, you know, open source software, um, tutorials on YouTube of like, you mentioned like Blender and stuff, like I'm not an expert at Blender, but I feel like I could just watch YouTube and in a few hours do pretty much anything I, I need to do, you know, which is crazy. Yeah. It, it's like really yeah democratized all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I guess to get back to your point, Natalie, like if you're a creator, you're kind of inherently wanting to break down walls, like, or to create like bridges between silos um, the coolest projects often are doing that, whether it's a legal or moral way or not, is kind of like not really a point. Yeah, I think like it's going to be really fun to see how um, like all the legal stuff or all the rules that we thought were previously there um, are starting to sh- are going to shift because of the way that we're doing creative, and especially now given the space that we're in live events are going to change and like the way that we experience music in like the web is going to change and probably possibly get more popular. Do you guys have specific pieces of work that you would really recommend people see or like people that you really admire that you kind of look to for creative inspiration? Well, one of my favorite uh, VJs out there is uh, Strange Loop Studios and they've always done like really innovative stuff um, like projecting on, you know, transparent cloths in front of the DJ and, you know, having 3D glasses effects and stuff like that. So that's that's always been an inspiration to me uh, in, in terms of like the live show stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember I had hired uh, one of their uh, VJs for a gig that I was putting together. And I just knew that like they were big and someone recommended him. So I said, sure, why not? And I brought him into the gig. And after he finished his like half an hour set, I was speechless for like 30 minutes. (laughs) I quite literally could not talk because it was so good. Um, Yeah. But what about you, Jenna? Well, like one example is like for the music video that I did for Kimbra like music website app that I did for Kimbra. There's kind of like a intro and outro to the actual experience. And that was really influenced by a couple Norman McLaren videos from like the 60s, 50s and 60s. So I, I think I definitely find myself going, I used to go to a lot of shows and got a lot of kind of like um, inspiration from going out in that way. But in the last few years, it's been a lot more like going to museums and like trying to look at other types of art and try to understand like what what makes those pieces so strong to me and is there some elements that I can take from that but as far as like VJs I I really um I really admire Daito Manabe part of Rhizomatics mm-hmm. yeah in in Tokyo and like Nick you know he's a he was a DJ first he's a musician first and then kind of got into visuals because of programming I think that's super, super interesting and super cool. And I still look at, this is so old by this point, like I don't know if this is like common knowledge for everybody or not, but the iTunes Music Visualizer 
was actually made by three guys. And one of them is Robert Hodgen, who had this blog where he just would make these processing applications and then render them out as videos and post them on Vimeo. And this was like early 2010s, like 10 years ago, maybe more. And yeah, there's just like, it's because I was following him at the time. I think it's easy to see how he's kind of experimenting with different techniques, both technical and more kind of like visually. Yeah, he's pretty great. I would highly recommend anyone looking up his IO talks because they're both just entertaining and really jam-packed with incredible work. He's really, really quite brilliant. Oh, RIP IO. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Well, let's all be honest and say like, this is a pandemic. We're all in quarantine. So as a result, live events are on a break. So I'm curious in terms of how you guys are making work and like whether you think this will reignite music videos, whether you are seeing people interact with interactive experiences in a different way. And of course, uh, Nick, a lot of your work that you're doing right now, quite literally a few days ago um, with virtual events, like do you guys see that being on a huge rise or do you see the world shifting in a way, in a much faster way than we saw before? I think without a doubt, um, just because that's our only option right now, you know, for that kind of content, uh, like you're going to see a lot of live streaming or like interesting kind of concerts inside of other video games or VR games like VR chat or rec room, um, you know, Minecraft, mm-hmm. even like Fortnite and, and games like Roblox that like older people probably don't even know about, but there's like millions of kids in there. And like Lady Gaga just did an eight hour concert with like 50 amazing musicians like in April which I didn't I heard about like after the fact you know but like all these kids are like you know plugged into that stuff and that's that's where this is headed <laughs> that's crazy I think yeah it's like the it's that, like we were talking about it's like these crossovers of different different worlds where you know on the surface they may not be connected but the there is there is this kind of like cross section of people that are super into both and um, the music industry, I feel like, has always been really good about maximizing that type of audience um, and generating hype around it and stuff like that. So I, I totally agree with Nick. Um, lastly, are there projects that you want to be working on or wish you were working on right now that has to have to do with music? Well, I mean, I've always wanted to do like some connect style, like hologram shows. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Hatsune Miku supposed to be like big with that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Actually, this year was going to be the first year Hatsune Miku was like one of the main acts at Coachella. And she's, for you guys here, or anyone who doesn't know, like Hatsune Miku is not a real person. Yeah. And it's not even a real singer. It's a Vocaloid software made by this Japanese company. And so you literally put in text and and MIDI and it's it's got really good pronunciation for Japanese words. (laughs) And there's like all these different voices and characters and they have these shows with a live band, but they project the artist on a big, you know, transparent screen. Oh, wow. And it does all the dance moves and it's pretty wild. So that kind of stuff obviously lends itself more to virtual concerts <laughs> than a real person because, uh, you don't know, it's already digitized. Yeah. VTubers. Yeah. Which means virtual YouTubers, which is very big in, in Japan. I mean, that's a whole nother by itself. Virtual artists. There's this really popular one called Kazuna Ai, who um, has like millions of followers on on YouTube and other streaming services. And oh boy, uh, <laughs> people just like donate money to her, wow. like hundreds of dollars. 
it, like live streams. A lot of these different like artists can just make bank. She she did a live concert, but it was at like hundreds of movie theaters in Japan. They played and the they video. just played Wow. This, I don't even think it was really live, but they just played the video at all these other all these places and people were lining up like paying yeah. a ton of money for for these tickets for this virtual show. So that obviously makes a lot of business sense because you can do the same show and like reach wow. a totally much larger audience and you know, for a lot of reasons I think we're gonna see that kind of stuff. You know, virtual virtual artists and performers and entertainers. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think on that note, like you guys are already doing it at the wave, but uh, using technology to kind of promote more kinds of collaboration. You know, like if you already have the um, what are they called the the suits to track people's movement, like a mocap suit. So, yeah, the, like if you have a mocap suit on the performer, you know, to have more of those where you can get dancers and choreography you know, involved yeah, like and then, bands. And- yeah. There's just, there's so many more types of people that you could get involved in these types of experiences. And I think the more kind of inclusive it is, um, the, the better ideas that will come out mm-hmm. and overall the experiences will get more and more compelling. Totally. Yeah. I mean, given the technology that's out there, I think we've only seen a very, small scratching of the surface of like what's possible you know in terms of these sort of the ways you can put technology together and to make art these days like audiovisual things especially so yeah really excited about like you know you're talking about what i would want to be working on i'm not really sure what it is but it's definitely in that area you know yeah yeah i think uh for me as well like doing adding like a layer of real time to to like promote the performance aspects of it and then also different types of capture inputs, you know, like we've been talking about visual music and VJing where typically the input is an audio mm-hmm. source or yeah. a few different audio sources. And so you get like an FFT sample or some levels of data. But if you have motion capture of like a performer or a dancer, the possibility space like totally transforms in terms of what you can visualize and put on a screen or in an environment. So, um, and, and that, and those are getting cheaper. Like, I, I don't know which mocap suits you, you guys use it, the wave, but I've been having an eye on a Rococo suit for a while. Yeah. Or the perception neurons, pretty good, cheaper one too. Okay. Uh, that one's cheaper. Amazing. <laughs> I'm glad I showed up. Or I don't know, cheaper than Rococo, <laughs> but they're they're cheap compared to other yeah. suits. Um, well, I'm so stoked to see whatever you guys come up with next, um, wh- whether it's a music video or a live event. I will be there from the comfort of my home. But if you guys want to follow their work, you can find Jono at Jono.fyi and Nick at Sheltron.co. Thanks again for hopping on and chatting about music, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's So New Media was produced by Next Art, hosted by Natalie Sun, music and editing by Brian Chen. Thanks for your support. Send us thoughts at info at nextart.tech.